Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Friday. It's The Hash. Coindesk TV is here. We're here to close out this week of crypto news with some insights, analysis, jokes, good times all around. I'm Zach Seward. We got Jen Sinassi. We got Will Foxley. How's everybody doing on this Friday? Just hit me, hit me real quick. Jen, how are we doing? I'm doing great, but cannot wait for the weekend. I'm just going to enjoy the last days of summer. Well, got a little skizzy of energy this morning, kind of all over the place, but I'm here. <laughs> so it's okay. It's all that matter. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> just fine. I'm just doing fine. It. Yeah. Just steady. <laughs> what is days? Through. What is He's time? He's a family man. He has to be focused and on point. It's true. It's true. Got to keep it, keep it going. Anyway, let's start this thing off. I think Jen is going to lead us off. And I think we're going to talk mm-hmm. about the never-ending quest, the never-ending saga <laughs> toward a spot Bitcoin ETF. What's the latest? Right. The SEC is not really keeping it going. It's just pausing and delaying. Uh, they've extended their review of the ARC 21 shares Bitcoin ETF application as it continues to look at spot Bitcoin ETF applications from TradFi. Heavyweights like BlackRock and Fidelity, ARK Investment Management, and 21 shares have been looking for an ETF approval since 2021. Can you believe it? All those years ago now when it made its first ETF application, which was followed by another one earlier this year. Will, I'm going to kick this one off to you. I think there was a lot of chatter about a potential ETF uh, application approval. There is still a chance that we get an ETF app approval, but these extensions keep coming. What do you make of this? Same story, different year, different date, <laughs> different same day. story. Yeah, just keeps happening. I mean, there's a lot of ETFs out there for Bitcoin right now. I mean, there's like the Invesco one with Galaxy Digital. There's the BlackRock one, which really kind of got the ball rolling again. And then we have this 21 shares one, which has been outstanding for quite a while. You could name like three or four others, right? So what are they going after? Well, they're going after this retail crowd that has brokerage exchanges. They can like log into Schwab or log into Fidelity, and then they can go purchase Bitcoin through an ETF product. And that would really open up the doors of adoption. 
and be a quite lucrative business for a lot of people who are in the ETF game because they get a little bit of the bips for every time you buy and sell one of these things, which is really nice. Why is the SEC continuing to delay this? Well, the rationale a few years ago was market inflation is pretty rampant within crypto and that a lot of the numbers were fake, right? So think of like trading volumes. There's a lot of wash trading within crypto. And then even like the more reputable exchanges out there, like the Coinbase is the world. Well, I mean, they're getting sued and we don't really know if we like these markets. And also Coinbase is interacting with the larger crypto market. Well, that kind of makes the numbers on Coinbase a little suspect. So there's a lot of thoughts around like why this can't happen. But I think with BlackRock piling in and with a bunch of other people re-upping their ETF hopes, there's this idea that maybe now is the time. Maybe now we have enough information about these markets. The key thing with the recent filings, of course, was the surveillance agreement where there was an agreement between the ETF and the exchanges and then NASDAQ to be able to look at all the numbers and look under the decks and see like if there was market manipulation in any sort of way. And that the thought was like maybe that will get it across the finish line. And a lot of people have uh, put good numbers on those bets. Zach? Yeah, I hate to be like the political conspiracy guy, but this does kind of feel like an entirely political calculation at this point, right? So SEC Chair Gary Gensler has long been against a lot of these vehicles and long been for uh, alleged consumer protection. And I think there's been a lot of uh, speculation in the space that maybe this is the avenue in which Gary sort of yields a little bit, right? He's going real hard on all these unregistered securities issuers. He's going real hard on all the crypto exchanges. Maybe we'll throw the most TradFi, Wall Street-friendly product, a Bitcoin spot ETF. That's probably the most friendly of the bunch. Maybe we'll give that one our blessing, right? And maybe sort of it'll change sort of the overall political calculus and perception of Gary Gensler's views on crypto. And I think these delays and these subsequent delays just add a lot of fuel to that fire, right? Add a lot of suspicion that this is indeed a political calculation as to when it will be most useful timing-wise to maybe finally say, okay, we have a Bitcoin futures ETF. Let's do a spot Bitcoin ETF. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's still based on the same markets. Let's just get this thing over with, right? So I, I don't know. It, like The behind the scenes stuff, the political calculation stuff, kind of feels like the story at this point. I don't know. We're going to have to ask those like Bloomberg ETF guys like what their odds are now because they were all like 60-40 yes and like yeah. whatever. Who knows? It's all procedural. Anyway. But Will, what do you think? I want to add one quote, which was in the Coindesk article. This is from Scott Farnan, who's legal counsel at Consumer Advocacy Group, Better Market, saying, quote, the spot Bitcoin markets have won a history of artificially inflated trading volumes due to rampant manipulation and loss trading and two, are highly concentrated, and three, rely on a select group of individuals and entities to maintain Bitcoin's network. Now, one and two kind of seem similar to the things we've seen in the past, like an echoing of all the thoughts that Gary Gensler and others have had against it. The third one's a little interesting, kind of talking about like how Bitcoin works, and maybe there's something along those lines that people are still just like trying to learn about. But in whole, Zach, like, I, I kind of view the comment from... Uh, Scott front in here as like being incorrect. Like I think what you're saying makes a little more sense. It does seem like there's a lot of political agitation or political angling here that's not working out for us Bitcoiners. Jen? Yeah, I remember when the SEC responded to BlackRock and the subsequent applications. And I said, and I think Zach, you agreed with me that at least they're responding and they're saying, you know, what maybe needs to be fixed and and what we should focus on here. And then everyone came out with a surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase and now we are delayed. It just feels like deja vu. Almost every story we talk about, it's like push and pull and push and pull and we're stuck 
in this um, in between. But I do remain bullish just by the fact that BlackRock has um, thrown their hat into the race here. I want to point out a Matrix report or Matrix Port article that was on CoinDesk this morning that said they believe that when there is an ETF approval, there will be a flurry of subsequent approvals afterwards that will kind of get us out of this holding pattern that we've seen in the Bitcoin market. And I also have to remain bullish on this whole ETF saga because we already have one in Canada. And I just wish, I wish the best. And I, I hope oh, that you too in the US can experience all of the glory of the North. The glory of a Bitcoin ETF. <laughs> the glory of the North. <laughs> At least you guys got that. Okay. <laughs> Let's wrap that one up. Let's go and talk about Aragon, Aragon Association. We last visited this story in May where there was some confusion around the future of the project. And apparently, according to leaked screenshots that CoinS got a hold of, they looked at selling the project back in May. The project itself has about a treasury of $180 million. The sale and the bidder were unknown at the time. And it's also undisclosed what the price is at this moment. But there is some interesting clues around it, including an Ethereum transaction that links to the entire document for the sale of the project. Coindesk reporter Danny Nelson has been digging into this one uh, quite a bit. I think this story, just to wrap it up and give it a little nut graph here, tells you about how DAOs work and how they're really hard to manage. Also becomes a little bit more difficult when you have a treasury with $180 million in it. Jen, I'll throw it to you since you're a one-time... DAO member and also a huge DAO supporter. I am a DAO supporter. And I think, I first of all, I want to say I love Danny's stories. They just really outline all of the juicy drama of the DAO base. Um, and so I just like love reading, reading these. I think the story for me highlights the fact that DAOs, for all that they promise when it comes to decentralization and transparency, aren't really there yet. And I don't want to say that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that there are a lot, there is a lot when it comes to efficiency and operating like a normal centralized firm. And many of these DAOs are thinking about how to progressively decentralize Aragon themselves, build tools for this, and they still have not been able to get it right. So before I make it seem like I think that DAOs are just totally not getting it right, I think that we're still early and eventually we're going to figure this out. But all of the promises of the DAO space you know, have not really been met. I think that this just, you know, highlights the need for transparency when it comes to decision making, the need for education when it comes to DAO community members, for them to know what information is available to them, how they can participate. And it just kind of highlights all of those nuances and the juicy drama that goes on. There's a few different parties involved here. So first of all, the Aragon Association. The Aragon Association is sort of like the legal framework or like the front-facing entity for Aragon. Aragon is a big tooling set to be able to build DAOs. So like a lot of different DAOs within Ethereum have used the tooling set that Aragon has created over the years. Historically, basically the last two years for history's sake, so not very long time here. There's been some issues with the Aragon Association. There's been some issues with like the different entities around it, leading to like a lot of people leaving, including one of the co-founders of Aragon about two years ago. And since then, they've been kind of like floating out there. Now, there's also an investment firm named Arca, which is big within the crypto space. And they're an activist advisor or activist investor, I should say, within this whole discussion as well. And that's where it seems the leaked screenshot possibly came from at this time. Uh, and we have these like different entities that are 
basically it seems like they're trying to get all the money out of Aragon they can. And for whatever reason, right? Like maybe they invest a lot of money and they want to get their money back. Maybe they just see this as a honeypot and they want to get their money out of it. At the very least, we know that the Aragon Association is sort of like rattled at this point and like trying to get its way through this. Um, according to the Aragon Association, which did reach out to us, they said a spokesperson neither confirmed nor denied the sale discussion when contacted by Coindesk and denied the report's unsubstantiated allegations. So a lot going on here, a little drama in Dowland, which Jen, I know you're, you're a fan of. Drama in Dowland. We should have a segment of drama in Dowland. There would be so much to talk about. But Zach is back. I'm Ooh, back. Nice. Don't get puppies, people. Anyway, uh, yeah, there's a lot of drama in Dowland, and it's it, you know it does it definitely unfolds a lot behind the scenes, and uh, you know you get to see this sort of flare up every once in a while when these bigger incidents emerge of you know conflict and strife. These are communities I think that largely sort of adhere to the decentralized ethos, where they try to share decision making capacity across a wide base of people, and historically that has been really hard and painful. Right? Dictators make the trains run on time even though at the cost of great, uh, great cost as personal liberties, right? So DAOs are trying to fix some of these longstanding problems, but ultimately when it comes down to it, there's these human issues at play that lead to these conflicts because oftentimes, as we alluded to, there's a lot of money on the line and a lot of different opinions of how to best proceed with those shared funds. So yeah, you're going to see more DAO drama stories emerge as DAOs become a bigger part of the crypto world, they're still pretty small. And I think DAO governance is still pretty limited in terms of the number of participants who are making calls uh, relating to very big treasuries. So I think hopefully, you know, with additional accountability, scrutiny, uh, transparency, you know, the DAO space can really level up and reach some of those uh, decentralized governance ideals. But not today. Not today. They won't. We'll see. They're going to figure it out. Let's hope. Okay, let's talk about some more serious news. Uh, it's bank report time. The Bank of America says that PayPal's stablecoin is not likely to be used widely anytime soon. In a research report published yesterday, they said the stablecoin will drive payment efficiencies and an improved customer experience, but adoption is unlikely to be significant in the near term. However, over the longer term, they expect additional adoption. Will, you are our resident bank report aficionado commenter tell me what do you take from these insights water's wet i don't know like <laughs> that's how these things are right it's not going to get adoption for a little bit i think that's but fair i mean will. there's cbdc's coming there's like yield bearing accounts for a lot of these stable coins i think coinbase is pushing forward something with like 4.6 percent interest on top of your stable coin holdings i don't know if that product is live yet but i saw like a marketing piece going around and like, why not, right? Because a lot of these uh, USD coins or stable coins of some sort, they're backed by treasuries, which are themselves earning yield around 4.5%. So, you know, you can do it. And the competition is also out there in terms of like traditional finance, right? Like Apple right now, if you have money in your Apple account, you can go get yield immediately. So if you have an Apple credit card or an Apple bank account, like boom, right there, you have, you have that yield. And so this PayPal stablecoin, like it's awesome. I'm a huge proponent of it. And I think it's like exactly what we want to start to see happening. Like there's things that could be better with it. A lot of people point out some code issues. A lot of people point out PayPal's like policies and stances in the past and like freezing accounts. But like if you're using their service, they're pretty upfront that they're going to do that. So as long as there's like options on the table and people are building on top of the tooling set that's already out there, that's already permissionless, then I'm a huge fan of it. So I think like this report itself... They have to push these out there. I, I really just think like they, they create these and send them out to other banks or other banking partners who aren't 
really that invested in the space or paying attention that much to the space. Maybe you saw a headline and I guess here's some more like follow-up context for those who are not really paying attention. I think this is going to be a huge project. It's just going to take a few years. Zach? Yeah, definitely a Captain Obvious headline here. Like in the short term, no, it's not like what every crypto trader is going to use. In the long term, uh, this is a huge signal. I think people discount how huge of a signal this is. This is a giant fintech firm saying that transmitting value dollars is better on blockchains. That's what they're saying. We can do all sorts of cool things with stable coins, with tokenized dollars than we could with the existing payment rails. That's a huge signal. So I'm also similarly interested about what's going to come from this. We saw Jose, who's the crypto lead uh, at PayPal, make some interesting comments today, actually, about novel applications for, for stable coins, like including uh, in-game assets, including streaming of payments, including all sorts of cool stuff, AI agents within gaming stuff. So they're not thinking about this unsophisticatedly, right? They're thinking about this with some nuance and with some real long-term vision that I think you know headlines such as these really gloss over. So again, I think PayPal is probably saying, you know, this potentially expands the pie of the total PayPal, uh, of the total stablecoin usage in the world, right? I think if you look, there's something like $120 billion worth of stablecoins issued currently. That's a very small drop in the bucket for what this could ultimately represent, which is the ability to transmit money across the border, across the globe, easily, quickly, instant settlement, all sorts of good stuff that blockchain believers have uh, espoused for a long time. So yeah, will it happen overnight? No way. But again, in the long term, I think this is an important signal for uh, at least some mainstream buy-in to what stablecoins can do when it comes to internet commerce. I saw some headlines about this PayPal news that said PayPal's entering the crowded stablecoin market. And I was like, ah, is the stablecoin market crowded? I don't think so. And if there's anyone who could enter a crowded market and succeed, I think it would be PayPal. Uh, PayPal has 430 million users. Um, and Zach, I completely agree with you. Some of the things that they're coming out saying that they're going to be using the stablecoin for at least experimenting um, how they can use the stablecoin in, in different novel use cases is really interesting. And I think really bang on. It shows that they are thinking critically and smartly about how to uh, move forward with this new product. Right now, I just want to remind everyone that the PayPal USD, I can never say it, PYUSD, uh, customers can Pi. transfer. I know it's hard. I don't want to call it Pi USD. So Pi. PYUSD, I could. I'm just going to transfer to Stable Pals because that's fun. Um, that was not an idea of mine. It was one that our producer came up with. I think it's great. But let me get back to the real news here. PYUSD customers can transfer to external wallets, make peer-to-peer -peer payments, pay for purchases, and use it to convert to any supported cryptos right now. To me, that sounds like Exchange Lite for their 430 million users. If we talk about mainstream adoption, I think making this available to that many people through a trusted brand, I've said that on the show before, is just what we need. So it's just like a no-brainer for me. I want to point to a quote from a CNBC article that I read this morning. This is from Omid Malikin, adjunct professor at Columbia. He kind of took the more tame approach here, suggested PayPal is just future-proofing themselves. He said PayPal primarily earns revenue by charging merchants a fee for facilitating customers' payments. However, if those customers and merchants began transacting with crypto on the Ethereum blockchain, PayPal wouldn't be able to charge those fees. One way to look at all of this is that PayPal believes in the future of public blockchain. So exactly what you were saying, Zach, I am just all in all happy and bullish about this news. And I wish the bank report encapsulated more of yeah. that information, at least in the headline. 
<laughs> yeah, bofa. All right. Anyway, let's change gears. Let's go talk about CBDCs. Uh, this is an interesting little crossover hit. CBDCs entering even further into the mainstream conversation and for not a lot of good ways. The CBDC is indeed the new government boogeyman prying on what you do in your wallet. And we saw that discussed on an episode of Joe Rogan with rapper, singer, star Post Malone. Let's hear the clip and then let's talk about it. Play the clip. So how do you feel about the government's digital currency that they're working on? No f***ing way. No way. I think that's checkmate. That's game over. That is f***ing checkmate. Because if they apply that to a social credit score, if they decide somehow or another that you need some social credit score system and it's for the benefit of society, and they outline that they can, you know, track your behavior and your tweets and all your things, and you get a a score. And if you're doing that, they they just haven't released the and report cards. Well, they, they don't haven't, have the kind they of freedom sent that the re- like. They didn't send the report cards home to the parents yet. We don't smoke enough on this show, first of all. Second of all, <laughs> Will, question to you. Checkmate, game over or not. CBDCs, they're certainly becoming a political issue. What do you think? I got a question for you. Are they like on the mid-curve here or are they on one side or the other? Because you are a fan of CBDCs because you want to make taxes easier, quote unquote. And you say like, you're straight in the mid-curve lane. So like, change your opinion after watching this clip or are you sticking with it? I mean, my take is very much the midwit take, but you know what? My take is going to be a fringe take if there's more podcasts like this. And then the midwit take <laughs> is going to be the government is looking at your wallet. Like this is going to become like the mainstream view of CBDCs soon. So I'm going to be on the, fr- on, the, on the edges of the bell curve with my sensei hood on mm. saying CBDC is good. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Was not ready for that one. Uh, no, it I makes think sense. this is going to be Believe a take for most people. I agree with you on that part. Like, there's, this is going to be a take for most people. Everyone doesn't like CBDCs. Most people, especially in the United States, have some sort of like underlying mistrust of the government, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum. Like, there's something you don't trust the government with. It's very easy to look at like what's happening with China, and they have a social credit score system, and they've also. Uh, rolled out their own digital CBDC, which does include the ability to delete money from people's wallets directly if they don't use it in time. Not that far to like start jumping over these hurdles or looking at it. As of now, what we know from the Federal Reserve and other more westernized countries are looking at this and being like, hey, we're not going to roll that out. Yeah, the EU went as far as to say that privacy was a huge concern for them when rolling out a CBDC. So Zach, maybe you will be like on the fringe and be the sensei here, but I don't, I don't know. There's there's some mistrust in the air, Jen. I mean, I, I just want to I want to go in on that point real quick because I, I think like institutional mistrust, right? That's what this is. Uh, this this that's this is an example of that, right? And institutional mistrust, distrust of the government, is American as apple pie. And I think this is going to be the consensus critique because it, it doesn't take a lot to like know the story already. You're like, oh, the government is rolling out a digital dollar that has more surveillance capacity than paper dollars. Therefore, government bad, CBDC bad. Like, I feel that's going to be, that's going to be the mainstream thing before you know it. And it's going to be really interesting to see if, I don't know, like the Christian Carlos of the world who've been advocating for digital dollars for a while now can make the case in the face of those headwinds. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough down here in America. I don't know. Jen, what do you think? I think the government can already freeze your assets if they really wanted to. And we saw them do that in Canada when we had the trucker protest. They enacted the Emergency Act and, and there were now sanctions issued for people 
who are participating in these protests. They didn't have any access to their funds. I know this conversation is a little bit more nuanced because we're talking about programmable money and possibly, you know, limiting um, how you can spend your money and where you can spend it, et cetera, et cetera. What I would have loved to hear in the podcast, first of all, love Post Malone. So like no, no squams there. Not trying to pick a beef here on the internet with Post Malone. But they didn't mention anything about Bitcoin or any other cryptos which offer a solution and is an alternative. So it's not all doom and gloom. I think the governments are going to go ahead with CBDCs. I don't think there's anything that we're going to be able to do to stop them. But there are alternatives out there. And that's the part of the conversation that I would love to hear more in the mainstream media as CBDCs become a talking point ahead of the 2024 um, election and more mainstream, as we saw on Joe Rogan's podcast. Zach? Yeah, there's a scary. I mean, there's a, there is a very scary world in which CBDCs go uh, go unchecked, right? Those privacy protections aren't baked in. The and trust in the institutions. Hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, hey! You can't you can't just Both go sides. back and forth. I'll Both flip sides, floppy, wishy washy, Zach. You gotta at least for an episode, pick <sighs> All a side. Right. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, well, Post Malone said it, so I got. I'm wavering now. I don't know what to think anymore. We should Dang. smoke on this show. We should smoke on this show. When do you guys want to smoke on the show? Like as soon as they will allow tomorrow. Monday. All right. Monday. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Anyway, that's it for the show. Happy weekend, everybody. Zach Seward, Jen Sinassi, Will Foxley signing off. The Hash. Have a great one. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 